Hello, I'm Charles Wyckoff, and it's a privilege to be here with Samer Mohanty, who is founder and president of Nanoscope Technologies. Nanoscope is pursuing optogenetics, and I am thrilled to be able to hear about this technology and about the most recent clinical data in humans. Samer, please tell us what you're doing. Thank you, Charlie, for this opportunity, and uh, it's great to share here uh, with you in this fashion the data that we have, the top-line data. Uh, as you know, uh, as a retina surgeon, so retina gene therapy is the first approved therapy, but that's basically for monogenic or single defect corrections. And uh, to, as you know, diseases like RP or Stargard is caused by hundreds of different gene mutations. It will require uh, hundreds of different products to target the whole patient population. And same thing is true. There are other gene agnostic approaches for including trophic factors or complement inhibitor in this space, but they're all targeting the complex pathophysiological development of GA and other uh, retinal degenerative diseases. And optogenetics, as you know, is uh, a gene agnostic approach, and I will show you how it can work as a disease agnostic approach also uh, in different uh, IRDs uh, with our preclinical and some clinical data. Uh, so how it works, basically, you, it's an intraocular injection. We are uh, going through different routes of administration, initially with intravitreal for pain retinal dystrophy, so that we can target the bipolar cells. Here, if, as you can see, let's say the photoreceptors and even RP cells are mutated or lost. We are bypassing that circuitry and making the on bipolar cells as light sensitive. So intravitreal injection can be performed uh, easily in an office setting. And once this on bipolar cells express these opsins with a projected light as in natural environment or with a goggles as some of the other companies are developing, then you can stimulate uh, in a non-contact way instead of implanting electrode. Now you are basically stimulating uh, the cells from outside and they will send signal uh, to the ganglion cells. And as you know, bipolar cells are already integrated to ganglion cells. So there is no integration, survival, or immune response with regard to injecting new cells. But here, what you'll see at a single cell basis, uh, when light falls, these opsins are basically ion channels. So cations flow inside and makes the cell depolarize. So instead of having an electrical stimulation, now with a very uh, low power light stimulation, you can stimulate the cell. So that's the basic principle of optogenetics. But most importantly, with this genetic technology, you can target specific group of cells, whether it's amacrine cells, on bipolar cells, ganglion cells. So there are different groups working in different uh, ways. But we are, our first uh, product is in on bipolar cell specific because they, they have a unique characteristic that large in number as compared to ganglion cell. They are close to the photoreceptor. They preserve a lot of visual processing. And uh, that's the reason we are able to do that. And uh, with regard to all the optogenetics, uh, the, as you see in the research space or in clinical trial, they all use a single uh, moiety, which is a transmembrane ion channel that I talked about. So that's why these options, all the neuroscientists, and since the inception, myself, we were trying to change the color of activation of this opsin. So, but I went, I'm the only one who went the other way around and said, no, from looking at retinal dystrophy, if we can use 
an ambient light, which is broadband, you know, white light, or in a blue light environment or green and red, can we make an oxygen sensitive to all this broadband light so that we don't need a goggles or we don't limit the vision of a patient in a particular lighting environment. So what we did is uh, uh, we attach a ligand to it and this ligand is a molecule which is sensitive to complementary color and also enhancer. So these are basically three soft part of one molecule. And we don't have to deliver them separately. They're all end-to-end -end joint, and they are actually packaged into a AV2 vector. So that so you are not, yes. Fascinating. So tell me how you're targeting the bipolar cells, because AAV2 can, can infect many types of cells. Is it the promoter that's driven by the bipolar cells? Is, is that what's creating the, the cellular selectivity? Yes, definitely. So there are two, uh, two selectivity. As you know, AV2 is primarily for, you know, go to multiple cell types, but the AV2 that we are developing in partnership with our CDMO has a unique rep cap plasmid, which we found tropism towards bipolar cells more. Mm -hmm. That's first step. The second one is through a M-glue R6 promoter, which is specific to on bipolar cells. So both mm -hmm. of these actually allow us to target the bipolar cells. You asked the right question. I have the expression in the mice and dog model I'm going to show you uh, next. Uh, and you're able to penetrate through the ILM. Yes, that's what our results both in, uh, of course, this is a tapetum in case of dog, but in human results, we have shown by fundus fluorescence fundoscope that we can uh, uh, see the expression. Great. So another uniqueness about our molecule is that this molecule also emit luminescence light. So we can see as a biomarker that this gene has been expressing, that our gene has been successfully delivered through the ILM. And then over a period of time, let's say 20, 50 years, if the patient has improved and then suddenly their vision is starting to decrease, that means we can examine the biomarker and say that whether the expression has gone down or there is a very severe remodeling of the retina. Then in that case, we might have to target ganglion cells uh, and things like that. So because of that unique molecular structure, we have these three unique characteristics. One is the opsin is fast, uh, very fast. As you can see, it's in a millisecond time cell, it goes, the current goes down and in millisecond it comes back. So we have millisecond kinetics. So unlike the traditional visual processing where you have multiple proteins that has to come and interact and make the whole uh, uh, sensation, here the, it, it has to work like a light switch. So this fast approaching thing is very important. Otherwise you will get blurred vision. We have used very slow options and there are some slow options being tried but that will lead to like a, a car is coming, you'll, it has passed through, but still you will see a blood uh, things coming towards you. And then other one, I already talked about that our option is uh, very sensitive to 400 and 700 nanometer light. So if the patient is in blue light environment or white or green, they will be able to see objects. We don't claim to show color vision, but some of the results show they do see color. It may not be true color in the, our earlier studies and some of the patients of current study are reporting. Then uh, uh, sensitivity wise, it is order of magnitude higher than the mono single wavelength options. So that's why you do not need a goggles to stimulate. And my early research and everybody has shown, if you constantly use 10 hours a day 
intense light to stimulate your retina over months of exposure, the retina cells will start to die because there is oxidative stress and all will be generated. So from the beginning, our strategy was to make it very sensitive, fast and broadband. And because of that, we are able to target bipolar cells. Also, we have other program where we are targeting amacrine cell, ganglion cell, but bipolar cells, I already mentioned, they are high in numbers and we found it provides better visual equity in some of the animal tests that we did. And with that, actually, we advanced to uh, human study. But you asked a very good question. You can see here, this is the pharmacokinetics, but this work is published in RD10 mice model. You can see very beautiful expression in the bipolar cells, uh, and uh, uh, which is uh, stand with the PKC alpha green, and M-Cherry is the reporter for our opsin. And this is in the mice model, but in the bottom panel, you are seeing a dog model where you can see very few cone cells at the bottom in the middle panel are left. This is like profound vision loss uh, uh, dog and they have a thick tapetum, but you can see in the M cherry on the left, very nice expression of the bipolar cell layer and which correlates very well to the PKC alpha staining. So, uh, we, so that shows that we have efficient expression in at least 70 to 80% of the target cells. Fascinating. Do you have any off-target uptake? In other words, in these animal models, do you get any transfection of the iris tissue or, or other, other portions of the eye that may not be involved in visual processing for what we want, but may create a side effect profile? Yeah, so we, uh, we have not seen without immuno, we did biodistribution study of different organs and also specific in the eye. We did not see any significant or detectable level of expression in iris or other tissues of eye. Great, thank you. Welcome. So now, now uh, just to show you that we did number of behavioral studies and these studies are done at very low light level, few locks, the intensity that you are sitting currently in the room. So these mice are humanized, like they have a model where they are not born blind, but slowly they lose their photoreceptor. And then if you test them, you can see even at intense light, they cannot find the light at the age of 12 to 16 weeks. And we give a cutoff time of 60 seconds. If they cannot find the light, we screen those mice, we took them, and then we inject them with our opsin. Now you can see how this is a light cone and there are two light here randomly they're switched on. And you can see the platform is the reward and the, how the mice interacts with cone of light and again, this light is very low. It is only with an infrared camera being taken. That's why you are seeing the gray areas are completely black and the light intensity is really low. At that low light, the mice, anywhere you put, it finds the platform uh, very, uh, you know, the latency is very small, like tens of second instead of 60 second at baseline. What I wanted to show you in this essay is that not only for RP mice models, where you can see the baseline is blue and then after injection is green, you can see there is a gap increasing in latency between them, which shows a dose response. So not only is applicable to RP mice model, but we found for Stargard mice model, ABCA4 mutated mice or RP65 mutated mice or geographic atrophic mouse severely, uh, you know, having RP dystrophy and photoreceptor loss, this is valid. So this gives us the first indication in optogenetic space that 
we can not only use this for a uh, in a gene agnostic manner but as a disease agnostic manner our approach so with that i wanted to summarize that our differentiation we are trying to develop this magic bullet for all irds having outer retinal dystrophies and is fast and activated at natural light intensity so we do not need a external stimulation device the option is sensitive to broadband from 400 to 700 nanometers so patient can see in different color environment and because we are targeting bipolar cells our animal results of visual acuity showed that we can improve high quality vision which was confirmed with clinical study i will go next and then we are also not only targeting the patients or having the goal of patients having pan retinal dystrophy but also patients who have partial dystrophy like geographic atrophy and that how we are going to achieve one is a subretinal route but you know retina become fragile but if we have a laser delivery where with a laser precision we can deliver to the target cells with an intravitreal injection and we have shown promising results we are in monkeys also we are advancing that uh, through ind by end of this year Tamara, how, how would that work? What do you mean laser delivery? As you know, in ophthalmology and retina, we use a lot of different lasers. How, how is the labor, laser going to target the cells that you're transfecting? Yeah, so the, the, the cells to be transfected is by decided by the promoter, but the, the, instead of using a viral vector, we put it the plasmid in a structure so that it does not disintegrate. And then laser makes something like electroporation. So actually, I, I being a biophysicist, started working on this laser poresan since 98, early of my career, like almost 25 years back, but nobody ever used it in a animal model, forget about in eye. So then my research from 2006 or seven has been to use the uh, animal model of eye to deliver. It's similar to electroporation, it just permeabilized yeah. the membrane to allow the genes to go inside. So the idea is you use a laser to increase the probability that a certain group of cells or area will uptake the virus. Yes. And we have so, published several papers on this in last decade. And so, Samar, if you're going to use this in patients with some residual vision, how is that going to impact their visual pathway? I guess we don't know yet, but right, they still have some degree of vision. For example, the patients with geographic atrophy, ultimately down the road where you might go, how do you think that's going to affect their visual perception? Yeah, that's a very good question. That's exactly the reason why we are actually advancing this non-viral method. We do not know. So in our phase one to a study, we went through profound vision loss patients, 20 by 2000. But in our phase 2B, we went for 20 by 1600 or worse. And then in our StarGuard program, which we initiated is 20 by 800. So we want to exactly see that what is the benefit versus risk if there is a pan-retinal expression. But with this non-viral approach, it will be localized. The expression will be only in the geographic atrophy area or macular dystrophy area so that wherever in the periphery there is a vision already there, we are not impacting them. But what about in Stargardt's disease, right? If you have an opsin that's much more sensitive than your typical opsins that are, that are already present in the remaining photoreceptor cells, Will this new option, will this drive signal transduction or will the, will the native signals still be able to be processed? So what we have seen in our animal model, it does not show any kind of behavioral and other change. But what I wanted to also clarify, our option is very sensitive as compared to 
uh, other microbial opsins, but it is not as sensitive as rod opsins because okay. as you know, rod and cones has very unique structure to amplify yes. the signal. And here we have only two layer, the surface and the two layers of the cell membrane. So that's why it, it will not so, be- So how much, how much less sensitive are we with this option than a native rod option? So as compared to rod opsin, actually it is yeah. much more or less sensitive of the order of like thousand, but as compared to cone opsin, it yep. is comparable. Okay. It is comparable to the cone opsin. Very helpful, thank you. Yeah, so, so with that, I think uh, I want to advance to our uh, phase one, two trial that we did. The subjects in the study eye were uh, either NLP or light perception, means hand motion maximum. And in the fellow eye, uh, the best vision was counting finger. So three subjects were dosed with uh, low dose. And then when the uh, safety was established, we dosed three other high dose and then ultimately recruited another five subjects. So there were eight subjects in high dose and three in the low dose. Uh, the efficacy endpoints were visual equity, two types of different mobility. I will show one video of just going to the lighted panel, but there was another mobility to go from one door to another through obstacle. The FST, a safe and optical flow discrimination and visual field and patient reported outcome. The primary endpoint was 16 weeks, though we have been following up more than two years now. The subjects are safe. And this is the summary of uh, the results. There was no serious adverse event. There was mild to moderate IOP increase and intraocular inflammation, both treated with topical eye drop. There was no need for any systemic uh, corticosteroid. And then, uh, uh, then there was no increase in neutralizing antibody level in uh, four weeks after injection. Sam, are two questions for you. Were patients enrolled based on the presence or absence of antibodies against AAV2 at baseline? Were titers measured before enrollment? Yes, we, we had a one is 2000 as a cutoff, uh, as a enrollment criteria, but we didn't see any correlation of any improve, uh, increase or things like that. And were there any prophylactic steroids used? Prophylactically, yes, minus three to plus eight days, they were used. And okay. then whenever there was in three subjects, there was some intraocular inflammation, then again, uh, topical steroid was used. Mm -hmm. Please show us the results. Yes, so we have uh, just I wanted to show a video. This is one of the maids, like you see in the animal case, randomly two light is switched on. Now you can see one of the patient as one locks light level. Again, image is enhanced, is not able to find light. So this is the simplest maze without the doorway. This is at baseline. Now at 16 weeks, you can see this object finding the light. clearly. So this is about the mobility, but also there was improvement in determining shape and flow. So like we have static patterns of rectangles and uh, sphere and triangle at different light intensity. We could measure what is the threshold light intensity to detect these shapes, also sizes and direction of flow and all those parameters. And even the speed, we went up to 180 degree per second this uh, speed and patients were able to detect those so all this data we are trying to publish those but most convincing result that we got is in visual equity so what is shown here is the change in visual equity in the high dose and low dose subjects if you see here at 16 week 
six out of eight subjects had more than 0.6 log mark improvement. Just I wanted to mention here, these are not ETDRS visual equity. This is Freiburg equity. Now you can see one of the subject. F R D U J H P U J D D H N U V N V H F R R P F E so sorry so the patient this is one of the best patient who has improved up to 20 by 200 and this is after two years of visit so there is durability safety and we are observing that in a responder group and uh, and in the low dose group only one out of three subject improved so there was a dose dependency in case of visual equity but mobility and other safe discrimination was seen across both the groups uh, there was no significant difference between the groups. And you said three. You said three of the patients had developed inflammation at some stage. Yes. And they were all treated. Was it all a single episode of inflammation, or was it recurrent inflammation? What What happened with those patients? I think uh, one or two subject has recurrent, but at the end of fifty-two weeks, nobody was under steroid or any inflammation, and. A two year, two plus year visit, uh, six out of 11 subjects came to the visit and none of them had any inflammation. Great. And then some subjects could identify SAPs in a convenient store. This is one of the other high dose best sink patient. So who could identify, go and work in a convenient store. And then after several months of the study and based on that and taking input from regulatory agency and our consultant, we, de we devised a new uh, essay to actually monitor uh, uh, the improvement. So this is under five different light intensity level and different shapes of objects are being put on a piezo sensor and the subject is asked to pick up the objects. And concurrently, we are validating these essays, but because of limited time, I think I want to go over our phase 2B study design, which is uh, fully now enrolled. Uh, there are 27 subjects. As I said, we relaxed the inclusion criteria to 1.9 instead of uh, logmar 2 uh, to be included in the study and uh, as you can see again prophylactically they were treated uh, with uh, uh, minus 3 to plus 8 days and there are two dose groups similar to phase 1 design uh, and there is a same control group and the primary endpoint is now 52 weeks and uh, this is being done across seven sites in us and enrollment actually completed in January last month, and the last patient has been dosed this month. And uh, there is no uh, SAE so far, and DSMB meetings is happening almost every two weeks, and uh, there is no change to the protocol. So the study is going well, and in a blinded manner in some of the PIs are reporting, the subjects are improving. Some are improving very drastically, even more than what we observed in uh, XUS study, visual equity has improved from log mark 2.25 to almost one. So in some of the subjects, which is really profound for us. Fascinating so yeah. It is fascinating data, very exciting for the entire space. So what, what happens next? Let's say this phase two trial is positive. What will it take to get this um, approved by the FDA? 
that's a very good that brings to the next question so then there are two if the data is as good as phase one two a we think there is a definite need and it's orphan disease so fda will consider fast tracking our application and in that case we might have to show some safety numbers and that will be provided by our next month we are planning to initiate the star guard macular degeneration phase two trial it will be a multi-center trial again but in this case this will provide us more safety numbers fdmsa optogenetics is a pan you know genes uh, mutation specific disease so or uh, therapy so you need to have a safety number with that in mind we are initiating this study uh, that it will provide the safety numbers to us also we'll come to know how better we can improve the patient from 20 by 800 can you improve to 20 by 200 we have some evidence of that and another key important factor for approval of the study is validating our novel endpoint. So though visual equity is measured by Freiburg equity is a validated essay, but the clinical meaningfulness of it is not well established in, there is no precedent. So we are concurrently validating the Y mobility and the SAP discrimination essay. Uh, this study is also planned to be begin by next month. And that will help us, you know, complete all the loop that's required by FDA for uh, you know, consideration of our program. Sam, another question for you related to eligibility. I see there on your Stargardt's trial that you're requiring an analysis of the nerve fiber layer, which is very interesting, especially in these, if you go back, if you think about the retinitis pigmentosa patients, many of them have quite dysfunctional RNFL by OCT. It looks very thin. It's very hard to see the different layers. How do we know ahead of time, a priori, that the nerve is still functional to the point that these gene therapies will be uh, useful? How, do we, how are we assessing the nerve in the RP programs? Yeah, so we wanted to recruit subjects. I think having INL is the most important part and nerve fiber layer, I think, was visible in OCT, but in Stargard, if that is a severe case, you are saying, we might have to do some in RP. It, it, in, in, in RP, RP, it seems like sometimes it's it's hard to make out exactly what the nerve fiber layer is on RNFL. So you're saying to get in, we have to see you have to the investigators have to see evidence of the nerve fiber layer on a RNFL OCT. Is that correct? Yes, that's what that that will give us the best outcome. Otherwise, at the end, we might have to do and subset analysis, seeing that if nerve fiber layer is lost, it's like a conduit yes. to the brain then it, our technology may not work, will not yes. work. Yeah, That's a very good point. So thank you for that question, I think. Asama, this is extremely exciting. So how many total patients do you think you'll need to treat before, if you include the Stargardt's data and the RP data, will you have to do another, another RP trial beyond the phase two trial that you have ongoing to get FDA approval, do you think? So, if the data is blockbuster, we think if we limit our target patient population to severe patient disease, then FDA may take precedence of Loxterna and may get approval and later we can broaden the level to outer retinal degeneration or moderately vision loss patients. So those numbers have to be worked out with the regulatory agency, I think. At this point, we think uh, uh, these numbers are as far, if you see the StarGuard, uh, currently we are enrolling six and then we have 18 dosed uh, uh, in the current phase to be RP study. So 24 and we had 11 in the phase one. If those data combine, uh, it, it provides uh, equivalent number that uh, Loxterna approval required. 
Samar, this is fascinating. I am so I'm so excited to hear of this data. Thank you for doing this work. I look forward to watching this continue to unfold. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. It, is, it was great talking to you.